When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to episode 228 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today in the podcast, you welcome Jay Robbins, musician, producer, engineer, who's in bands like Government Issue, Jawbox, Burning Airlines, Office of Future Plans, and his solo project, Jay Robbins Band. And on tour with Braid in July, if you're listening to this in this moment, more in the fall, learn more or where there's future stuff about Jay at jrobbins.net. Now, super rad, these in all those bands, but also for a fan of Washed Up Emo, let me just list off some of the records that he's worked on as a producer engineer as well. Texas The Reason, Do You Know Who You Are? Promise Ring, Nothing Feels Good in Very Emergency. Jets of Brazil Records, Frame and Canvas by Braid, Engine Down, The Jazz June, Hey Mercedes, Liars Academy, Maritime, Ryan Shelkit, Compound Red, 400 Years, Discount, Lazy Cane, Sleepy Time Trio. I mean, I could keep going. Check out his Discog. It is worth a look at what Jay has done, not only as a musician, but also as someone running uh, his studio. So learn more about all of this stuff at jrobbins.net. This is episode 228 with musician, producer, and engineer, Jay Robbins. was a weird kid and I didn't really listen to a lot of um I didn't really listen to the radio that much like I mean when I was really little um there were you know records in the house you know my dad had a couple of Black Sabbath records my parents had a, they I don't know there was music around but the first music that I really loved was in the movies and I noticed it in like I was a really big um, science fiction and fantasy and horror nerd. And I noticed it in movies that I loved, like in Psycho or in um, Star Wars or in um, The Day the Earth Stood Still or, you know, like the music in these movies really like caught my ear. And that was what... Um, that was kind of my first love was like it, that took me into like listening to symphonic music. Um, 
a lot of like late 19th and early 20th century, um, you know, like not pop music. Um, and, uh, and that was kind of a like identity thing for me too, because I felt like such a misfit. It was like, you know, when I was in middle school and in, and, um, going into high school, rock and roll and pop music was kind of like the music of the kids that didn't get me. And it was just like, you know, I was more into like my thing. I had this real intense kind of, you know, I had a, I had an inner life (laughs) with, you know, a lot of really rich music. Um, and I was pretty much interested in anything as long as it wasn't pop music. But, um, and I really liked, um, you know, and I was a, I, I drew and I painted a lot. And so I got into this art magnet class, um, in high school, kind of halfway through high school. And, um, that was a program where you could literally do art for half your high school day and kids from all around the County, you know, commuted to my school to do this program. And, um, I befriended them on the basis of liking weird stuff and so they sort of, I think they, I think they saw that I was a little bit of a man without a country. <laughs> and so they started inviting me along to shows. And like, at this point I thought I was, maybe I would, um, like I didn't have a formal musical education. I just spent a lot of time at the piano trying to like learn things by ear, you know, <clears throat> and, um, sort of improvising and, and so on, but it didn't really have any connection with other people or with, you know, with, there was no way to see how it was going to make an impact on, on anybody apart from me. I was very self-contained my little world. Right. That's so So interesting. When I started started hanging out with these kids in my art class, that was like, they were my first really tight friends because they were into a lot of the same stuff that I was into and then I started going to shows with them and I was like, you know, a, like a light went on in my brain because I was like, oh, my God, here's a world where, like, for example, I didn't drink or do drugs or smoke or anything, but I didn't say that I was straight edge because I didn't know what that was. I just didn't do those things. And I was like, oh, my God, here's a world with kids who think it's cooler not to do drugs, you know, like amazing. And then also it was so creative and so vibrant and so outside. I was like, Oh, it's the autonomous zone. You know, it's like, here's a world with no rules where I don't have to like sweat. Somebody tell me I'm telling me I'm doing it wrong because everybody's just doing what they, it's just fucking crazy. Right. Mm -hmm. So it really, and then, and then I thought like, you know, so that, that was my indoctrination to punk really. And, you know, my friends uh, started making me tapes and then, so it was weird because I, you know, I went, I mean, some of the orchestral music that I liked was fairly out there and abrasive sounding. Um, but it was real abstract and intellectual. And so I sort of made this move from that to like, like, it's funny, actually, I remember the first tape, uh, my friend Damon, uh, actually it was Damon and Derek, who's two friends of mine from the art class made a tape for me and they put all songs that had that didn't just have guitar bass and drums you know they'd be like uh like a clash song that had you know i I, you know whatever it was it was like 
they were sure to add other instrumentation. So it was like, like sort of giving me a way in like, Oh look here, there's a piano in this song, Jay, you know, you know what I mean? That's so and, uh, sweet and, of them. And, and I remember there's one, there was a, what's that black flag song from everything went black that starts with uh, the piano and they're just bashing the piano keys. It's like a, it's, I can't remember, but it's like bashing on the piano. Oh, and bang, 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 bang. Okay. We're rolling. You can play. And then, but anyway, uh, so, so that was, that was it. That was like, I was like, Oh, now I'm now here's another world, like a literal other world. Like I'm dreaming of other worlds and here's one that actually exists, uh, where shit is strange and unknown and they're making it up as they go along and I want to be a part of it. So, so that, you know, I started basically just taking a chance on buying a, a lot of records and going to a lot of shows and, um, yeah, I mean, I think it quite literally probably saved my life because I really had no, like, I was really, I felt myself as a real, like, way, way outside, outsider. And then, you know, and then I kind of found my tribe. So, um, and, and you felt safe. So probably. Well, no, you didn't. Did <laughs> but you? It was okay. You didn't feel yeah, safe I mean, at those shows. Like the first, the first show, the very first show I ever went to was uh, Damon and Derek had a band in Silver Spring, Maryland, where we were all from. They had a band um, called Potential Disturbance, and it was like they both wanted to be the lead singer, and they were best friends, and they decided that the band could have two lead singers and that would be fine. And I went and saw their band play at King Kong Chinese restaurant in college park, Maryland to an audience of maybe like 15 people, but it was all friends and everybody was like super psyched and it was really fun. And then the first big show I went to was, um, was government issue, uh, TSOL marginal man and a band from Tennessee called STD. Mm-hmm. And that was at the Wilson Center. And that was when I was like, all right, now I'm through the looking glass. Like, this is this is fucking cool. But it definitely didn't feel it didn't feel safe, but it didn't feel like like my my understanding of the real world up to that point was like it's it's uh, full of rules that you don't understand. And you and you have to like I mean. It, it it was not a great place. Like my my imaginary world in which I was like, you know, considering deep ideas and reading a lot of science fiction and listening to this like whack out music and stuff, that was safe because it was a it was a world of not safe either, but like it was a world of exploration, mm-hmm. you know, and like um and the real world was a place as far as I could see that had no imagination and it was just a grind and it was full of assholes. So this other world, the punk world was like, um, like it was unknown, but it was unknown in an exciting way, like uncharted. So, you know, like at that time, that was probably 1984, 1984. So you, it was absolutely possible to go to a show and, you know, get, your ass kicked by skinheads and like, you know, I remember being like, okay, you, you know, you got to watch out for this guy. Like, don't cross that guy. Like, you know, and, 
it's it's in the city and i grew up in the suburbs it was like oh you kind of keep your wits about you or whatever but you know i did have i had a tribe i had friends that i was with so it, it felt safe in that way but you know it was the uns it was a kind of unsafeness that was exciting because it's like okay nobody knows about this like they're making it up on the fly you know so uh it was it was yeah very cool and that show was incredible that show just like totally cemented it for me what else I mean, about I it walking just walking into the the wilson center you know which was a church basement mm -hmm. and it was so loud and so dark and loads of people loads of young people and i remember seeing um these two goth girls with like crazy big liberty spikes and i was just like I don't know. I just, you know, and I think I, you know, I have my like nerdy, uh, my nerd glasses and my like sweater, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> I, I totally did. I, it took me a long time to even call it punk. I was just like, I'm not stepping on anybody's toes. I just want to be a part of this. You know? <laughs> like, you know, I'm not a poser, you know, I'm like, don't, you know, but, but so, uh, I, yeah, I just think there was a the thing, a feeling of possibility in the era that I hadn't experienced you know, the closest experience that I had to it would be like, like I used to make movies. I used to make like uh, claymation movies and I would go out or, and sometimes I would go out with my Super 8 camera and like, you know, just, just film stuff like running down the street or whatever. And I'm like, what, what is this? What story is this a part of, you know, thinking about that kind of stuff. And that's that was the kind of feeling that I had, like what story is going to unfold, you know? So, um, I mean, and I don't, I, I'm trying to think about like a song that really like grabbed me. I think on like that tape was really cool too, because it wasn't, it, it like my understanding of punk that I gleaned from being around these kids and being, you know, being from this friend group, was not doctrinaire and it wasn't reactionary it was like extremely um expansive you know it was much more about a certain kind of energy and creativity and not wanting to do what's been done before you know as opposed to being like it has to sound like the ramones or it has to sound like you know, there it, it's it was not a stylistic thing so much as it was like an attitude and a creativity thing, and also like, and it was um, against the status quo, but in that, you know, broad definition of things, it's like, you know, I think Bauhaus was probably my first favorite band, you know, that I really like loved. I just listen to their records over and over and over again, but, but you know. It could be The Clash, or it could be The Specials, or it could be Joy Division, or Teardrop Explodes, like those, uh, you know, like a real broad, yeah, broad range of styles that just were n new, and you know, and nobody could tell you that it had, nobody could give you the criteria for like like uh you know like this was a this was a big thing that like also I, people i talked to other people about this i think a lot with a lot of people with the same experience of of making music in the 80s 
I know Ian will talk about this, you know, has talked about it a lot. Like you're like, you had this sense, especially also in DC, right? You had mm-hmm. like, like growing up being a kid in the seventies and eighties, you're like, okay, music is made by musicians who are these exalted people or just culture in general, right? Is, is made by exalted beings in these enclaves. And so if you're, if you want to make it in music, you got to go to New York, you got to go to LA and you've got to like live up to these certain expectations and do things in this certain way. And there's a right way and a wrong way of doing things. And, um, so the, the idea that, um, that that's bullshit and music belongs, you know, culture making art, making culture is belongs to everybody and it belongs to anyone. It's an authentic human expression and it's communication between people and it, it doesn't have to be mediated by, you know, a corporation or a superstructure or like these ideas that have become calcified that went before where it's like LA is where they make music and where they make movies. And, you know, New York is where you go. If you're going to be a, you know, like, like you have to follow these steps to succeed. And this is the definition of success. And so the idea that all that shit could go out the window and you just make something and you're, you put it out there and you're in a, in a microcosm, a world with other people who feel the same way. And maybe it's only 20 of them, but you're all going to go be a part of this same thing. All that shit. That's, that's, that's the shit. Yeah. (laughs) That, that's, that happened to me for me in 1984. I was like, boom, I'm, I'm, I'm in. And I feel the same way now. Yeah. That it's just that there's that niche of a, of a place excited or collaborating around something that they're familiar with or they're connected to either it's a local band or a local zine or something it just there's this energy around it versus there's no energy when you got enemy magazine that was far away that was you know but someone next to you made a zine and you're like oh my god i might be able to do that right and i mean and i remember also there was a there was another band that was really really big for me in my formative, you know, punk moment was this DC band called nine, three, five, three. And they were a really an incredibly eclectic and creative kind of art post-punk band, if you had to put a label on it, but they were very theatrical in their presentation and their songs were really dark and fucked up, but also kind of funny. And, you know, they could sell out the nine thirty club, but they never made a, blip on the radar outside of Washington, D.C. But one of the things that was really captivating, I mean, I saw them a lot. I loved this band. And um, one of the things that was really captivating about them was they did um, these amazing posters that were like really uh, kind of surrealist collage posters, and they would wheat paste them up all around the city. And so you just see these like like fucked up black and white collages with weird images from old movies and strange juxtapositions like, like Max Ernst kind mm-hmm. of looking, you know, um, or like Duchamp or something. And then like, uh, and it would just say nine, three, five, three and have a date and a, you know, the name of the venue, but it didn't feel like it was like, it didn't, their art was like, it wasn't like, um, I mean, this sounds hokey. I, I know it's going to sound hokey when I say it, but 
it didn't feel like a gig poster, like they're advertising a show. It felt like, like if you know, then you know, and this is like, we're going to, you know, the ritual will take place on this date. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it was very much like we're opening a portal to the other world on this date and time kind of thing. That's how it felt to me. So, yeah. That is, I've never heard of that band. Hmm. They were a super cool band. They're not, they're an acquired taste. I mean, they're not for everybody. I wouldn't know. I mean, I, I could, I could say, I think I, they were definitely influenced by like middle period stranglers and they were definitely influenced by this British band called punishment of luxury. That is also equally obscure. Um, and I think there's a healthy dose of Frank Zappa in nice. there. It's just like with just with like weird, like, um, you know, I mean, they were an art rock band. They were a, a weird ass, really cool band. And a lot of their um, lyrics were, they reflected a kind of suburban experience, like the souring of the suburban dream, you know, like, like we're the kids that have to grow up in the, you know, sort of uh, aftermath of, you know, your failed experiment, which you still insist on believing is somehow utopian, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> like, so, I mean, they really, they really, the whole vibe of that band really, really nailed it. I mean, for me, but, but if I played them for you today, you could just be like, what the fuck is this? You know, <laughs> like it's not, it's not for everybody. I like that. That's the point. Yeah. I guess I, I want to, before I move on to the other thing, I do one thing you kind of said, which is uh, been said multiple times from, this era or finding this sound and you talked about that energy and what's not what what what's been done or something sounded different that's what I gravitated to like it was just it, it, I mean I've I could have gone in many different directions in music right there was folk there was hippie music there was jam bands but for some reason like this pulled me in a way when you know you're younger you're like you said you were into different kinds of music like have you been able to sort of grapple like is there a certain i mean it's it's not oh this is a kid looking for something because they can look and find anything but there's something about that moment where you're in that room like you said you were in the wilson center and you're like i got it and it just seems to be um interesting and that obviously still happens today but something about punk or something about um being being aware that there's more out there is just a really interesting energy or feeling. Yeah. I mean, I think I honestly, I think part of it is a, a degree of uh, a degree of dissatisfaction. You know, if you grow up in a situation where you're like, um, here, here are the available options that we've, we've arranged for you. Uh, here's what, here's how your life will should could unfold. You know what I mean? Like this is, this is the way the world is. And you look at it and you're like, yeah, you know what? It doesn't fucking work. Like it's not fucking working. And like that, I think that sense of like, that's deep sense of dissatisfaction, you know, like it's a real teenage thing, but it, it also, it's like finding a, finding a world where, uh, with other people that agree that it's not working, you know, like, yeah. like that's, that was not, um, and they can articulate it and, um, and they're actually daring to say like, you know, yeah, we're not having that. 
you know, as opposed to, I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's a counterculture thing, but it's like, it was, it was a counterculture of that moment. And also I think the fact that it, you know, I don't know, it felt very organic for me the way that I came to it. So it's almost like, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. But that's what, I mean, I think that's a lot of it is just the disillusionment, the sense of disillusionment and like, like who says we can't make something that's better for us, you know? Yeah. Um, Kind of, kind of feeling. Yeah. That's a really good word. I actually haven't thought about that way. It is. It's the people you met were just as dissatisfied where they were and they found somebody and then, and they're open to seeing someone talk about rights or food not bombs or some sort of like thing that they wouldn't have been exposed to um and that was the good of it right they were there was a open group of people and um and i think yeah that's certain people look for that so yeah i'm i'm thank god i found it too because <laughs> it would have been mm-hmm. would you know i grew up in a really small town and there was this one place and they happen to have these shows and that was it so yeah i, I it is a it's a it's a hell of a light bulb that goes off. Mm-hmm. Um, do you in do you remember uh, hearing emo for the first time? Do you remember hearing the word when when that was? Uh, well, it probably would have been around 1985, um, because that was like I missed Minor Threat by about a week. Like, really? Like I went, yeah, I went to my first my first punk show was a week or two after Minor Threat broke up. And, <laughs> nice timing, um, Jay. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> but so, so the the sort of wave that I kind of rode in on was much more. I mean, a lot of it was these sort of much more obscure kind of art bands. But the big shows that were happening then in DC would have been like Scream and uh, uh, Embrace was starting to play because you know I missed the Faith too. But so Embrace was a big deal. Like oh this is Ian's new band with guys from the faith. Like everybody's going to go to this show. You got to come kind of thing. Um, and right. Uh, Rights of spring like that, you know, uh, quote unquote revolution summer that, that was my real, like, you know, yeah, that was definitely the wave that I wrote in on. And I loved it because it wasn't like one thing that was, that always sat strangely with me, um, in my understanding of punk rock was how much of it is actually like pretty reactionary. So there's like a, there's a, um, you know, there's a current of punk that's not very interesting to me. Like, like Oi doesn't do it for me. And like New York hardcore, because it was like people who come with a set of rules instantly. And I'm just like, Oh, it has to do this and it has to have that. Or right. it's not punk. I'm just like, fuck you. So, um, and, and I think the fact that, like, I remember hearing the word, the term emo being used as a pejorative because, you know, for, you know, I'm not trying to speak for Ian or Guy or any of those guys, but I know, you know, they were, their, their early uh, bands and early music was also music by very young, they were young. And so they had like a super, like, kid kind of mindset about what they were doing and as you know as you grow and your horizons expand you want to start talking about different things you want to examine different things and your 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 art grows and what you want to say it grows and 
so it's quite natural uh, to me it made sense i was like i was like oh these guys are literally you know like you go to see rites of spring and they would just like i mean metaphorically speaking it's like there's blood on the floor i mean they were just given everything they had every show you know and wow. it wasn't it wasn't about like i mean it's not literal blood right but it's literally like uh like i feel like that band was it was a pretty you know it was almost like a primal scream right like a, mm-hmm. like a deep like a deep an exploration of something deep trying to like dig in there and pull out everything you got and like like literally like tear your heart out of your chest and this is what you're trying to express and that really connected with me i was just like you know and and but there were people who thought it was ridiculous you know there were there was a reactionary you know hardcore element that in the scene that was like you know oh they're singing about their feelings you know what i mean so so emo core was was a term that someone used laughingly and um that was the first time i heard it like 1985 wow and uh but i mean i'm i'm not a i'm not really like a genre guy i i just don't have a lot of time for yeah for these distinctions you know when like i feel i mean when with all due respect i feel like the the term emo is a meaningless it's like it can mean whatever you want it to mean, you know, mm-hmm. because in my experience, like it's some of some of some bands that people were calling emo in 1986 were extremely um, mathy, complicated, you know, like it's it's like it's, you know, on the one hand, like it's just like what what is emo? It's it's I it's still undefinable. People use that word. It's, they just throw it around. They do. And yeah. (laughs) So, and that's, that's, you know, it's fine in a way because I'm like, I'm not real. It's like, I'm not really like a a fan of genres, you know, I'm a fan of like music and expression. So it's, it's like, like that's a category that I, I can't use. Yeah. You know, (laughs) <laughs> totally so. but it, it, what you said about sort of the what they were trying to do and how it isn't definable i mean the whole thing about it sort of going and coming away people are like oh it's back and i'm like it's never gone anywhere <laughs> well i think it's like the one thing that's the one thing that makes it a useful kind of shorthand is like it's like you know all right like molly crew is not emo <laughs> like that's all right like if a certain amount a certain degree of like like i like i'll use the word emo if i'm talking about just something that that like moves me yep. you know i'll be like i saw einstein's and neubauten um this summer which is a band that i i love i love and i'm deeply continually inspired by this band and i saw them play and it fucking made me cry and i told my wife about it i was i was in spain and I, you know so I'm talking to her and I'm like, yeah, I, I saw a noise about and it made me emo. So that's a, that is my approved use of the word emo, like for me, <laughs> you know? So it's, so it's good shorthand in a way. Cause it's like, yeah, we're like, but as, as Ian once, I remember Ian saying this, right? Like 
he thought it was ridiculous when people use this term because he's like, oh, yeah, like music was never supposed to be emotional before. But now it is. So now we have a name for it. Like, <laughs> you know, of course, it's emotional. Right. What's so funny about you referencing Ian so many times is when I pulled up to the Discord house to do his interview in person, which he agreed to, he was also doing yard work. So, <laughs> so maybe that's you my do yard work. <laughs> And and I'm delighted to be to have a reason to stop. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, no, I think I actually really like your your perspective on it and hearing thoughts and where you sort of heard. And has anything changed since hearing that word and hearing it? over the years and as you said you're not a genre person so it was sort of a it was just always kind of in the background when you were talking to some of these bands that you recorded with or maybe played with over the years yeah i don't i i don't know that i've i mean i've almost everyone that i know sort of has the same feeling about it i think you know like i mean uh yeah, it's it's like it's sort of a word. I mean, I think a lot of times when people want to talk about music or they want to talk about art, of course, you have to have a vocabulary. You have to have ways of framing things. But if you're the one who's making it, <clears throat> I think I think it's uh, pretty risky to get too invested in those kind of um, uh, idiomatic things, you know, mm-hmm. like it, it's 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 uh the whole point is you're not trying to make, trying to recreate something that you've, it's exactly like what something you've already heard or seen, you know, it's just that, I mean, it's just inspiration, but like, so I don't, I don't, uh, you know, all that I know is I've, I've seen this term sort of morph like a big amoeba and sort Mm -hmm. of put out, put out, um, you know, uh, grow to sort of envelop different stylistic things, you know, and then sort of recede. And so <clears throat> that's, that's why, I mean, I've seen, I've seen a lot of uh, sort of things come and go from underneath that umbrella. And so that's why I've sort of stopped paying attention to it. Cause that's why I think it's not a useful term for me. It's, it's very, very smart. <laughs> yeah. I like that. But I think, I think most people, I think most of the, most of the kind of band people that I know feel the same way. Yes. <clears throat> so I like that. That was perfect. Um, I w- it was going to mention, um, you mentioned Guy earlier. Um, I convinced him to come up to, come up to Atlantic um, when I worked there to do the interview. And I'd forgotten that that was the label that tried to sign Fugazi. And so he, yeah. s- he sat down in my office and he goes, this is really weird, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> um, and obviously that's um, weird. And I know you, you had, um, you know, signed to uh uh atlantic for a little bit but the thing i wanted to ask about was um i don't know if you've ever talked about this but i had forgotten and i'd recently seen um a couple members of helmet so it made sense to ask i saw page recently and i interviewed stanier but the strap it on tour do you remember anything about that with with helmet when you toured with job with Jawbox yeah with them? Was profoundly it was profoundly influential they were super i like love that tour that was a great tour I mean, I, I remember, I remember getting along great with them. You know, I remember, um, being really blown away by them every night. I mean, they, if you, you know, I mean, if you listen to novelty, you can hear that helmet was a massive influence on us. 
I mean, there's no denying it, you know, and, and, um, and, uh, I remember some weird story about Stanier, like bowling melons down the supermarket aisles in the middle of the night somewhere, <laughs> but I didn't see, I wasn't there for that. Someone, someone, someone in our, someone was there for that. We were talking about it on tour, but, but, um, but no, I mean, I just mostly was just, you know, floored by them every night. It's like getting getting to see a band that you. And I I don't know that I, I don't think I knew their music that well before we toured with them. Um, so like the booking agent was, just said, hey, you guys are going on tour with Helmet. Yeah, I think so. I can't remember who Kim would probably remember who set that up, whose idea it was. I want to say it may be, um, shit. Yeah. You know what? I cannot, that's okay. I remember well enough, but, um, but it was interesting enough. I mean, we must, I know we must have known, we must have known some people in our, other people in our band maybe knew their music better than I did. And I know that I was aware of it. And I know that I thought it was good, but, um, what do you but remember anyway, about was, the crowds? Like, do you, do you, do you, cause it just, that was a crazy. Oh, I, I, I remember thinking that we wouldn't go over that well. Really? Uh, yeah. But, uh, but I was pleased to be mostly wrong about that. Um, <laughs> and it was cool actually too, like getting to know Paige a little bit and, and sort of seeing, you know, the, the depth of his kind of music interest, which is, you know, he's got a real, really broad, really eclectic taste. And he's inspired by a lot of things. And it's like, it's, it's, it was cool to hear. I remember they played some songs that I don't, they played some songs in their set and in their sound checks that weren't on strap it on. And they didn't make it to meantime, but they surfaced much later, maybe. Interesting. But I can't remember. Yeah. I can't remember the names of the songs, but I remember being like, you know, a lot of their stuff is just like the really brutal riffing um, with this sort of discordant, you know, kind of aspect to it, too. But they had some other songs that that had a much more melodic. They're almost more like their more recent stuff, you know, mm-hmm. where uh, like the. Oh, God, what the hell is that record? The so Betty? Good. I love this record. Um, the, no, the most recent one, like uh, the one that has like the desert sand on the cover. Um, oh, um, like a super recent one. Shit. I just, I, I, I'll remember it in a second. Um, yeah, that one. Yeah. It's only because I'm trying to remember it there. Therefore I can't remember, but, but basically it's like this, an, an, a more kind of melodic and like harmonically rich kind of, kind of music that was also within the scope of what they were doing. But it's like, they had these songs that I was like, Oh, that dead really to the world. Scra- yeah. It's, songs that were hinting at that kind of sound and i was like oh this is really scratching an itch for me like it was in a in a musical musical world like a kind of harmonic world like real interesting chords and changes and like a a kind of almost melancholy feeling that blended in with this super heaviness and i was like this is cool and then of course they didn't do anything with any of those songs until (laughs) later but right but I remember hearing them and being like, oh, I've, I got to talk to this guy. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, it was just, a, it wasn't just, like you said, it wasn't a, just a metal band. 
Like there was something else to it, which I thought, right. which, which yeah. always intrigued me about him. Like, I was like, oh, there's a little bit deeper than just start, stop. Yeah. That's cool. Um, wanted to talk about recording because there's a lot of records that I think um, the fans of this show um, and people that I've interviewed and um, I think um, it would be great to go through a few of those. But I think to start just sort of what what about recording and mixing and being that way in, in intrigued you first? Uh, I mean, I think it's just making, it's this, it's an extension of that, like, uh, uh, mental world thing, part of it, you mm -hmm. know, because, you know, you put the headphones on and, and the song, even if, even if the song is just a recording of a band as if you're looking at the band, right. Uh, and there's two guitars and one's on the left and one's on the right. And like where the, you know, the spatial thing about like where the drums are, where things are in the stereo field, even if it's like real cut and dried like that it's still a world like the song is still a world it's bringing you into like it's bringing you either bring you into a story or someone's you know you're you're it's putting you in someone else's shoes in a way or whatever but so so the idea that like you know you're preserving this thing and making a song is like making a little world so making the record of the song you have this opportunity to kind of flesh it out so i think you know i always listen to records that way I listened to like orchestra records that way. And I've listened to like the production on, you know, like rock records or whatever, pop records, whatever you want to call it. Like <clears throat> if it's the Beatles or whomever, you know, the, the soundscape of the record is really important. And then you start thinking about, well, well, how did they put this together? Like, you know, is this just the band playing in a room or is it something else? And, you know, why does it sound a certain way? Like, I just always had that curiosity. So, like, when I played in Government Issue, I remember going to make, going, whenever we would go to the studio, I was just like, this is where I want to be, you know? And then same for Jawbox, every opportunity to record was, like, the most exciting. And then I just start picking the brains of the people who we were working with. And, you know, I just, I just love it. Like, the studio as a place where you where everyone's just invested in this creative moment and you're trying to bring this thing into being you know that's that's i you know i mean i fucking love it from the moment that i first experienced it you know so, I, and that's rad that people were open to to sharing with you like here's this here's yeah, I mean, that I think, I think for the i think for the most part i've i've met very few very few engineers who are like real uptight about, you know, preserving their secret recipe because it doesn't make any sense to, it's like everybody, especially now you can, you know, information is just out there and it's free and it's not really about as the more you do it, I feel like the more you realize that, <clears throat> you know, the techniques are valuable things to know, like the technical side of course is important, is important, is crucially important to understand but like, like if John, if I take notes on, if I record with John in yellow, right. Mm -hmm. And I take notes on every microphone he used and where he put it and the whole signal chain. And I ask him, John, what did you do when you mix? Which of course I did. Right. Like, like if I slavishly study John in yellow's work, which I did, which I have, right. Um, I'm not going to make a record that sounds like John recorded it because the record's going to sound like the band and the thing that's important is the energetic piece that's what is 
that's what's important. And so everybody who has the technical knowledge is going to apply it in an individual way, even if it looks exactly the same on paper. You know, like the the thing that's happening in the studio is a moment. It's a human moment of the people who are making the music. And it's the interaction between them and the people who are facilitating the recording. Right. So. Uh, so, I mean, I think just about everybody that every engineer that I know kind of even even if they don't explicitly say that they understand it intuitively. It's just like and it's cool to share. You know, it's like, look, I figured this thing out. Oh, you want to know about that? Oh, awesome. Well, yeah, I can tell you about that. You know. Yeah. Maybe I just know, maybe I just know um, I lucked out and most of the engineers I know are just like real <laughs> nice solid, people. Decent, yeah. Cool people. Yeah. But, I, but I don't know. I've never, I don't think I've ever met anybody who was like, I'm sorry, I can't tell you my secret recipe. You know, it's just like, come that's on, great. Fuck off. Yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> um, how do you deal with personalities and bands or, or, or dealing with conflict? Like, I, I feel like you've got sort of a, you know, a, if doing this role, you've had sort of a way of being a peacemaker, but also listener. Like, h- how is that something that you've you've dealt with? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, ha- I haven't had too many dramatically awful experiences with people. In the studio, Not even honestly. awful. Just I, more of, you know, oh, they're deciding or, between or, yeah, two I mean, takes. It can, be, it can be, sure. I mean, there, there are stressful times. Like, there's bands that I've worked with who, <clears throat> especially when like I started out recording only in the analog domain and I didn't, you know, and, and I would, there was a crossover point where I was working with bands that had only worked digitally or they had only worked in their, you know, so, so they would come to the studio wanting to do analog recording, but then they had automatically set up these sort of roadblocks going like, Oh, well, but we can't do that. Can we can't do this thing. Can we, or we can't do that thing or we can't edit the same way. Can we, or we can't, uh, we got to all do it in one take or whatever, or bands that, you know, which is not true. It's just, you just different ways of achieving the same goal kind of, and there's different, you know, I mean, the history of recorded music is a history of editing, whether it's analog or, or right. digital, it's like, there's always ways to do it. So, and I could cut tapes. So it wasn't like, you know, eventually you just sort of go like, no, as a matter of fact, if you, if, you know, the most important thing is like, you just like, get comfortable and realize that we can, you know, whatever needs to happen, we're going to make it happen and you're going to do great work and I've got your back and it's cool. Right. So like, uh, I mean, but I, I remember also recording a band that had only ever, they were used to recording in their friends, ADAT studio in, in a basement. So it was every record, a couple of records they had made up to the point that they worked with me, they, we're able to just go over and record, you know, Hey, I'm going to take a couple hours and go over to Fred's house or whatever the guy's name is. And we'll just do some vocals and then come back next week and go, I could sing that better. And, you know, really take a month or two in fits and starts to make a record. Right. So they were used to this real comfortable pace. And then they came and did a record with me in her ear in five days, because that was all the budget they had. And that record <clears throat> was extremely stressful for everybody because there wasn't time to second guess anything. It was literally like set up, put up mics, play the song, two takes tops, like singers losing his voice. Wow. Too bad. Get some tea. Listen, how we'll try and pace this out as best we can, but 
three days from now, we got to have a mixed record and it's just got to be done. And I don't know why everyone had agreed to that formula, but we all were, we all were like, yeah, this is the, this is the brief. This is how the record has to get made. And it was hard, but I'm still friends with that band and it turned out really good. And it did capture a certain energetic thing that was really, that was really great. And I think even though the experience was occasion was tense at times everybody pretty much you know kind of uh uh everyone what's i'm trying to there's a there's a cliche i'm going for but i can't remember i can't find it in my brain um you know they just basically kind of stayed on the good foot so to speak as best as much as they could you know i mean i think that's you know generally it's been my experience that people come into the studio wanting good things wanting to put their best foot forward and wanting good things to happen and like as long as there's trust then you know there's always a way so it's you know and i think people do i mean i'm you know i personally as a musician i've had quote unquote musician i've i've had especially singing you know, I've had plenty of mini meltdowns and, you know, felt, felt pretty shitty. And, um, you know, I've been lucky that I worked with, uh, sympathetic, empathetic people. And I just, you know, under, you know, which, so they, so I sort of learned by example, you know, from people like John and, uh, Ted nicely and Ian Burgess and, and Don Zantara, you know, that like, it's like you sort of watch, how they kind of enable you to like, you know, the whole, the whole point, the whole point is like, if you're singing, you've got to trust yourself. And like, if you can help enable somebody to get to that place, then that's, then you're doing, you're doing the job, you know, and it's, you know, it doesn't always work out because people's personalities are different, but, but by and large, you know, by the time you get into the studio with someone to make a record, you, hopefully you are not, you know, you're not planning on having an adversarial relationship. You're right. Like everybody's on the same team. So, you know, how did you know um, when yeah. to push or when not to, or, you know, understand, Oh, you know what? I think that, I think you could do one more take or, you know, that drum thing, we, we could do one more. And then secondly, when did you know that it was a good take? Like I've uh, just those, those, those feelings. Uh, I just think, you know, it, it's like they, like the famous quote about pornography, right? Like, you know, when you see it, like, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. I think like, (laughs) like, I can't tell you what it is, but I know when I see it and I kind of think like, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I hate to say it, but I think it's like that, you know, I mean, it's funny because it has changed now. Like, I mean, I still like to do, uh, recordings of a whole band playing together but doesn't always work out that way you know or sometimes you do it and then people redo everything or whatever but like um i think it's it used to be much more like once i started getting into editing when i which you know when i learned how to cut tape um and then you know sort of applied that to pro tools which is like all editing right so now it's a little bit of a different kettle of fish because you want people to go for you want to have the feeling of like if you're recording the whole band playing together which already is exceptional right not everybody wants to do that anymore but but for people that do right when 
like you want the feeling of that synergy of the band like in the moment and nowadays it's like okay well we did three takes and actually the best take is really only kind of 80 percent. but look at this 20 percent from the other take all right we'll just put smack them together and then now we have a winner you know wow. whereas in the in the past it was much more like recording in the 90s and the early 2000s for me especially these fast records with small budgets it would have to be like like the energy was the number one thing it's like you know and then in you know depending on the band depending on people's proclivities and kind of reading the room and thinking about what the goals are what what do what does the band want out of the record what's the most important thing you know then you could say actually you know and maybe if i was lucky enough to go to rehearsal too that's the thing that i've always liked to do like go and kind of hear the band and do pre-production even for a record that's supposed to happen in like six days i would want to like to do it then i could say if i'd seen the band live or i was that familiar i could say to them you know what you could beat that you know or there's an obvious thing like you know that was really speeding up mm. like at the end of the song is you know this is like like before you know before like at a time when a lot of bands were not used to the idea of the bands i worked with were not used to the idea of recording with a click track and so it was interesting to like you know and jawbox had that trajectory too like recording live in the studio boom 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 done and then being like oh listen to that we sped up like crazy why did no one <laughs> tell us you know really and then, you know and yeah totally and then i mean i think like grip is full of that like i mean it has good it has good energy but if you want to be nitpicky like a lot of the songs end a lot faster than they started you know so and then at a certain point being like yeah you know what we're we're going to take it on ourselves to start working out with a click so that that doesn't happen anymore and so it's nice it, it's nice to have worked with bands several times to see them sort of take that stuff on board like there are bands that I've definitely worked with who started out like super like screaming crazy energy but needed to try to organize that a little more to make the songs comprehensible and then over time they'd be like yeah you know what we want to do it with a click this time and then they sort of take on more of the production interest themselves and it's like it's fascinating to be a part of that growth thing and sort of see it happen you know it's it's very it's super cool to me but um i love that but yeah i mean as as far as knowing you know it's kind of like so it's like you trying to be familiar with the material and the band and then you kind of know it and then also just being present present at the moment of doing it right it's yeah. like you know when everybody's excited and when they're sort of firing on all cylinders and then you're like oh my god we got that which is the reason that i it's i enjoy recording a whole band playing together you know but but it's you know not that doesn't work for everybody and that's cool too it's it's just it's a way that it's funny because people don't um i keep you know more and more like i just encounter bands that are like you can do that and i'm like yeah yeah how, how do you think most records were ever made in the 20th century like <laughs> but you know but it's people are so used to the, like constructing out of building blocks and pro tools now and that's not necessarily a bad way to do it but it's cool when you when when someone comes out of that experience and then they they want to try it 
this other way and they feel the benefit and you do a take and everybody comes in and then they're like, they know that it was good and they hear it coming back and it already feels like a record. And there's that energy is actually in the captured, you know, it's coming out of the speakers. Fuck yeah. It's like, wow, we don't have to slave to work and try and recreate that and like chart all the tempos out or anything because we just did it and look, there it is, you know? But yeah. That's beautiful. You know, That's beautiful. Well, it's, it's an ideal anyway. It's a, you know, yeah. What personalities fit this line of work? <laughs> uh, p- uh, patient people and um, monomaniacal, like kind of OCD people. Maybe no, maybe not though. I mean, I I, I just think like, yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know, all all sorts. But I think it does require a certain amount of like, you gotta be a little bit zen well i was thinking that was my next thing about being focused like you've got a band coming in in three days another band had just left two days ago you were mixing that like how are you compartmentalizing or putting these things in these things where they might be two different sounds or two different types or different instruments like i that was always i've always fascinated with how uh you can be focused in that way when you have all this sound that you've been experiencing yeah i uh that's a good question I mean, I think you just do it. <laughs> I don't really, I don't really know what to tell you. You know, I mean, I do like, I think it's just something that you, it's an occasion that you rise to because that's, that's, you know, if, if there's a challenge to it, right. If it's like, I mean, I tend to, on the one hand, it's, it's the commonality. It's like, like, I'm like, what is the thing that all these projects have in common? It's like people are trying to express something that is meaningful to them and make a connection with the world. So that's universal. So that's pretty easy to, if you keep that in mind, then it's like, then it's with you in whichever context it shows up. Talk, can you talk about your solo record? I'd love to hear you to promo that a little bit. Well, uh, I could talk about it for hours and hours. <laughs> we don't want, um, no, uh, I mean, I am working on another one. I'm almost, I'm basically done with it with the second one. Um, I just, I mean, I, I wouldn't know where to begin, you know? I mean, I, 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 uh, for a moment I thought I wasn't when, when, um, I mean, it's getting into sort of personal territory, but my, my late son, um, when he first had his, diagnosis of spinal muscular atrophy um i thought i would probably have to just i sort of resigned myself to not doing music at all because i was like there's not going to be time like this is a full dealing you know taking care of 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 this uh disabled child and and having you know trying to make sure that he has what he needs and has a good life like that is more than a full-time thing and i you know it would be selfish to do music and blah 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 and i could you know and then after about a year of sort of thinking that way, you know, I've started doing demos and that, uh, and just making music for myself. I was like, okay, this, this is a missing piece. Like I just felt like a better, happier person. And that sort of morphed into uh, office of future plans, which was, um, a, a band that I did, um, of which I'm very proud. And, uh, there's a but so obviously future plans had the songs that we did that were on that record were all songs that I had demoed by myself and we fleshed them out 
And then there was a point where I was like, these guys are so great. We should start jamming and writing together. And that wasn't ever able to really happen. And, and I thought if we did, if we could make that happen, some new unexpected like thing would be born and I'd be really excited about it. But no one had the time or the energy or we were just not able to like get in the same place enough you know we would kind of jam and it would sort of be like treading water and nobody wanted to really take the lead and meanwhile i had a whole i was still writing these songs and then and trying to write more direct and simpler and more economical songs and and just be like i'm on the same i've been on the same project creatively my whole life which is to like focus what i'm trying to say focus what i'm trying to accomplish and like you know connect and communicate with people in a coherent way right and i and i was and i just felt really strongly about these songs but i was like i was like the band i basically kind of pulled the plug on the band because i was like i can't dictate to these guys it doesn't feel right to me to dictate to this this group and say you know this group this group could co could do something different but it doesn't seem right that i just you know like make them live through my creative process when i know what how i want things to be in the mm-hmm. end so i sort of took i sort of took my toys away and then i started getting the songs together and then um uh and then ended up uh, recording with almost the same people because brooks and gordon are are on the record and they're in my solo band and um and I invited Pete Moffat to play drums because he he and I go so far back, back to GI days. And Pete's a very song-oriented drummer. And it's kind of like like Darren, who's really like who played drums in Office of Future Plans, is an incredibly inspiring person to play with and like one of my dearest friends. And a and he's he's something like with Darren like I want to go on a journey into uncharted waters because I know we're going to, it's going to be, it's going to end up somewhere cool. Um, whereas Pete is much more like he doesn't want to go to uncharted waters. He wants to know where we're going and he's fucking excellent at fleshing out and making the journey an interesting journey, but he needs to know he's much, he's a, I thought of him as a good song oriented drumming collaborator and which he hundred percent, is so um which darren also is too but just at that time i was like Mm -hmm. i needed to reorient and so i thought if i just keep this small and i say it's my solo record i can make it happen at my pace and i'm not going to be letting anybody down i'm just going to be i'm going to see how it turns out and and i ended up being really really happy with it so um and happy enough that it's kind of where i'm kind of putting my creative energy you know so so record number two is pretty much done uh and uh darren played on that and uh although pete's gonna be playing when we we're going on tour with soul side and in the spring uh pete will be playing drums which would be cool so i'm I'm, my cup kind of runneth over with amazing drummers who are also good friends and and super super sweet people willing to put up with my shit so (laughs) and when is that going to come out i don't know (laughs) i love that no idea no idea because i I, it's it depends on vinyl production and stuff so which is uh, chaos you know i'm not even i'm still figuring out the sequence and you know last detail kind of stuff right well 
You sound happy and content. I'm 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 pretty psyched. I'm 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 you know I mean I love music, what can I tell you? <laughs> cool. Thank you, Jay. Yeah. Well thank you, Tom. Sanitized and canonized.